Almost. 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 Major. 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 Holy fucking shit, this is major! If any of you had, like, like, oh shit, I'm watching this with my parents, like, kind of experiences where it's like, I like this, sure. but the fact that there is a uh, parent in the room uh, <sighs> is now making me severely uncomfortable and distracted. Yeah, um, I don't know. I was always very, very, like, when I was growing up, I knew what every movie had in it. Like, me and, me and Michael Snydell have talked about that we were really avent uh, on a, a website called kids in mind i know was... that website common yeah. sense media yeah. for me that's my generation yes yeah. yes Where... what is it was what is it it's pretty much Friday? it's wait yeah what'd you say brian common sense media uh yeah sense. right yeah. right yes, 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 but yes, yes. kids in mind was just it's basically it was the glorified version of the part in imdb the parents guide where it just details every sex language and whatnot like i would do that if my parents were watching a movie <laughs> <laughs> it also rates them on a scale of one to ten That's if i'm funny. correct right yes yeah and if in a movie had like a 10 i was like oh i'm reading what's in this shit <laughs> because because there's i mean at this point there was a lot of horror movies that i wanted to watch but no i couldn't watch because i'd be scared yeah. or my parents or my dad was going to rent a movie and i'd be like well is it going to be awkward if i watch that with them like i remember the only thing I can remember, which I've never... This is the only Alien movie I haven't actually seen. He rented Alien Resurrection, and my dad was just, like, really cool about it. He was like, you can just watch it, and if it gets too bad, you can... You don't have to watch it. I'll tell you to stop watching it. So, that's the only thing I can really think of hmm. as far as awkward parenting. Kind of underrated. Kind of underrated, that one. Yeah, it's not that bad. I don't think that one's good. that bad at all. It's yeah. probably a lot better than Alien Covenant, but Bryden, do you have any experiences? Mm. With well, I think um, at my parents' cottage uh, when I was like fourteen or something. Yeah, I think it was fourteen. Uh, we had the VHS of American Pie, and my brothers. I think cool. Yeah, cool. and like my brother, <laughs> who's like now in his thirties, he's probably he probably had seen it before. But like we were like, oh yeah, like let's let's watch this. Me and like my two brothers, and then like we thought like my parents were going to bed. My mom decided to stay up. I don't know why she decided, and then, like, the first scene is literally, like, Jason Biggs jacking off in his room with a sock or whatever, and my mom said, like, oh, my gosh, I, my mom, like, sometimes makes these, makes these awkward commentaries, I'm like, I love my mom, but she says something like, I hope, like, you know, I, I never have to see that or something like that, and, and, like, with, like, you guys, I said, like, knock first or whatever, and then, like, my brother's just, like, burst out, and we're like, oh, my gosh, Brandon, and I was like, okay. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, so, my, um... <laughs> It's you reminded me talking about this. Um, the one I can remember was my dad. You know, I was really into baseball as a young uh, kid. And for those listening, baseball was a sport. That no, I'm just kidding. Um, you were but, you were watching the fan, and your dad was like, "Wow, this no, is well." <laughs> it's close to the fan though. So my dad. Um, so he showed me Bull Durham, which obviously has a lot of sex in it. I don't think that was that awkward because it is a comedy and like mm -hmm. that is you know the best baseball movie ever made. And like I loved watching it because it's like about a lot of it is about the baseball stuff is really very good baseball stuff, like about how to hit and like all that. And so that's why he showed it to me, and I love that movie and I still love it. And then, um, but the one that's like real gnarly is he showed me Cobb. Oof. Which is also Ron Shelton, which is a lesser known '90s movie about Ty Cobb, 
starring Tommy Lee Jones as Ty Cobb. And it's like really about Ty Cobb. It's like here's a horrible guy, ma- person, early 1900s, you know, probably the greatest hitter who ever lived, but like racist, mm-hmm. like anti-Semitic, like all of these things. And like just screwed everything that moved, drank, smoked, you know, all this stuff. And the movie has all of that stuff in oh, it. And boy. it's like my dad kind of knew, but he like wanted to show me the movie because it was like about Ty Cobb and it was, you know, all that stuff. And so it was just kind of like I think he covered my eyes. Like I, <laughs> I have a fond memory of like him. I think he was almost more embarrassed than I was, but it was a funny like. You know, because Tommy's really hamming it up in that one. If you get a chance to watch that movie, whoa, boy, he that is a performance. That is a Tommy is like, I got my Oscar, baby. Let me just show you how we do it. Like, <laughs> um, I do have uh, memories of like watching stuff by myself that I'm not supposed to watch and my dad just being like opening the door real quick and i was like uh, the entire time watching it just on the stop button just hovering over it so it was like as soon as he hit the door just hitting it like i remember doing that during the movie valentine and hollow man so 2001 was a real hovering over the stop button how is valentine not an artisan movie with (laughs) that's that's warner brothers man they had the big studio Studio yes, yes, I, yes. I've never, Denise Richards. Yeah, I was about to say Denise Richards is in that. I've never seen it. Never. It's not good. Is it a, Sh- is it a Shannon Elizabeth as well? Nah, uh, no, no. Oh. It's Denise Richards. It's um, God damn it. Let me pull it up. I'm, yeah, um, I'm looking it up. And it's the same director as Urban first. And it's the same director as Urban Legend. Jamie Blanks. Urban Legend. Yeah. Oh. Also a terrible you, movie. Jamie. Oh, Jamie Blanks. Yeah. Who? But Jamie Blanks is. Yeah, he's kind of. He right, it's him. Yeah. Oh, Catherine so. Heigl's oh. in this, and it has an eight. Catherine Heigl. And it has an eighteen on Metacritic. <laughs> can I? Can I good. spoil the? Can I spoil the end of Valentine? I don't think anybody's gonna send us hate mail. Go ahead. It's, no. it's it's David Borneo. Yeah, it's very obvious. <laughs> but the way they but but the way they do it is like they don't like Valentine dies with the mask. Right. And so he's dead. Uh-huh. And then they take the mask off and it's Borneus. Yeah. So I always thought it was like a funny, like, you don't even get evil Borneus. Like, <laughs> he's dead. These, like, I just, you know, like, these, right? I think that's right. Yes, I, I, I think so. I have not seen it since 2001. And I was going to watch. Somebody called David. Somebody called David Borneus. These character <laughs> names are sending me. Denise Richards as Paige Prescott. David Borneus <laughs> as Adam Carr. Mary Shelton as Kate Davies. Jessica oh, Marley Ka- Shelton is in Jessica it. Jessica Capshaw as Dorothy Wheeler. Jessica Caulfield Ka- as Lily Voigt. Catherine Heigl as Shelley Fisher. Like, I don't know. Jesus. It just comes all out of the generic, like, horror movie I was, names. Yeah, I know. And also Prescott, you know. Sydney. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen this since 2001, like a year or two ago. I was like, oh, I should, maybe I'll rewatch this. And I put on the trailer and me and my girlfriend watching it. I was like, say, I was like, is this an Mar- incel ass movie? What is this? <laughs> I'll rewatch Marley, it though. Mar- Marley Shelton, we got to show some respect. Wendy Preferkorn from, uh, The Sandlot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Young, young Marley. Oh, so, so good. I, I also find it interesting. You're talking about, um, some of these movies that like, like Kevin, you said, like your dad was like popping in, like seeing you watching the movies on the TV. It's interesting. Like I'm of the generation where I was able to watch movies pretty easily on my laptop with my headphones and everything. So I, it was easier in a way to hide movies or no, like not going to watch it on the big screen. I'm going to like watch this on my laptop. And then like, that's, yeah. that's, that's an interesting point. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting point. Yeah. Cause I definitely had that same experience of like my, my mom especially was less discerning 
at a certain age of mine where like I think I've talked about this on the B side where uh, Gods and Monsters oh, yeah. I watched at a very young age and was very like informative because it was like you know at that age I was like it was like hard to watch it was hard to, to like square in my mind you know because it's like that Gods and Monsters about James Whale right who made yeah. Frankenstein mm-hmm. and he was he was he was gay right back then it was obviously way even more of a you know a thing that was complicated and there's so much prejudice and all these things and it's a the movie's about that right Brandon mm-hmm. Frazier is the gardener and and um it's a good movie Bill Condon movie um and it really was like at 10 years old you know of like what does all this mean you know just like very like you know confronting it probably a couple years too young and like but i looked back so fondly in that movie for like those exact reasons which you know we talked about like you know these things matter when you see movies you know the context of your life yeah that's the thing like some people's favorite movies you know valentine and you're like how and they have a good reason good story i don't know you know like it's crazy um yeah, Brighton. Uh, to put you in perspective of somebody who was doing this with VHSs, it was a, mm. a lot of going to Hastings, renting a lot of other PG-13 movies and kind of <laughs> slipping one in there and then like handing it to the cashier with my thumb over the R-rated on the VHS to make oh, sure my dad wouldn't sweet. see it. Like it was it was Mission Impossible levels of shit. But yeah, God damn, you could just you just be watching shit on your phone. But I, I didn't really do that. Um, I eventually like <laughs> I eventually caused enough outrage uh, as a teenager but once I got Netflix I remember my parents were like the one movie we don't want you to see is Clockwork Orange and then they give me a Netflix <laughs> subscription <laughs> through DVDs and of course what's the first thing I'm going to get but Clockwork Orange and they come right, down halfway right, through right. and they're like well can't stop you now and like I don't know I don't know what we expected yeah, <laughs> yeah I remember I got Mysterious Skin when I was 16 through Oof. Netflix which is a great Oof. great film right. yeah, uh, amazing movie but yes that's amazing amazing film but that was one like Bryden like I had a laptop at that point and was like I'm gonna watch this in my room like right, right, right. Uh, Kids was another one of those and I remember she, you went down the list you yeah, went I, you went I, to like a top 20 most controversial movies and I, were like I'm putting all these on the queue <laughs> I, I really did and I remember I put kids in like like down at the, in the kitchen to like be sent out like back in the mail after I watched it. And I remember my mom read like the Netflix slip description and was like, "Can I watch? Uh. Can I watch this?" And I'm like, "Not with me. You can't." Like, <laughs> <laughs> does this but, have a happy ending? Yeah. Well, no, uh, but yeah, uh, no, but it was like I was also pretty sheltered as a kid like after a certain point i wasn't allowed to watch batman the animated series i wasn't allowed to watch a lot of stuff with violence and then like by the time i was 12 and matrix sequels were coming out i you know pretty much threw a fit to watch the first one and then got my dad to take me to to watch the second one take me to the third one in theaters and i think that is honestly like why i had such a uh thirst for uh violence (laughs) as a teenager because i was just shielded from it from my entire life and now i can Mm. look back on that and be like oh yeah those movies are shit but i definitely had like (laughs) i i felt like i was just shielded from it to the point that i just needed to expose my eyeballs to the most horrific shit possible almost as if it was a dare before i like started Mm. experimenting with like drugs and alcohol and stuff like that as a teenager so 
Yes, yeah. your experimenting was like, I gotta watch all three August Underground movies, or was that just me? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's start this up. Uh, welcome to Almost Major, the uh, podcast where we talk about the mini majors in the movies they release. My name is Kevin Tudor, here with me is Charlie Nash. Hello. And Brian Doyle. Hi. And once again, we have our guest, the hostess with the mostess. Well, he's not really a hostess, but I wanted to say... Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, Dan Becca is here. Yo, yo, yeah. Good to be back with you guys. Um, Excited about this movie. I thought for a long time I was the only person who ever saw it. So... It's not and like it and like it. So it's nice to talk about it. And had three other gentlemen, uh, uh, as, as smart as all y'all, to uh, to discuss it with. Yeah. And that movie we are talking about is Panic from 2000, mm-hmm. which premiered at Con May 1999. So you could have seen Panic and Ghost Dog. It was at Can. It was at Can. Yeah, yep. I didn't know that either. <laughs> Wait. What? Hold on. Hold on. Uh, I'll believe you. Like I would think, maybe in certain regards. No, I I copied and pasted this from Ghost Dog. Sorry, I'm a fan. <laughs> okay. <of this>. um, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's Sundance 2000. That's what it is. That it oh, okay, there it is. There. I it was is. gonna say Sundance 2000. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. That, that no other movie better represents Sundance 2000 than Panic. But. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. That's the only festival it. Dropped December 1st, 2000 in 12 theaters, which was the max it was at. Budget of $1 million opening weekend. It made eighteen grand. Total domestic gross of 779000 with a worldwide gross of $1.4 million. It's directed and written by Henry Bromel. He uh, wrote for Homicide Life on the Street in the mid-90s. After this, he directed uh, Last Call, a TV movie in 2002, also starring Nev Campbell. Uh, Bryden, you said you had some uh, notes about Henry Brommel. Yes. Uh, so I just before we were recording, I was looking up some interviews with him just to sort of get a sense of who Brommel was because, um, you know, he only made those two movies before he passed away. Uh, in, oh, wow. Well, yeah, he passed it, away in 2013. He was only 66, died of a heart attack. Um, the last thing... Oh, that's... Yeah, the last thing that he produced actually was um, he wrote the spec script for a show called Falling Water, uh, I believe is what it was called. It was a USA Network show... And it was, um, yeah, it was called Falling Water. And, like, he got, like, credit for it, like, when they, like, produced the show in, like, uh, it got, like, produced in, like, 2016 or something like that. But, like, yeah. And it only lasted two seasons, but he was involved with that. Uh, He also did a a miniseries on, like, Showtime with, uh, what's my man from Anaconda? Uh, Eric Stoltz? Yes. It's called, oh, my gosh, what's it called? Uh, The poster is Them and Water, you know? Yeah. What's interesting, while you looked that up, is in Last Call, which I'm now going to watch. Same, by the way, same. Um, freaking Irons, Jeremy Irons plays F. Scott Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Which I'm like, yeah. It's based on a book called <laughs> oh Against God. the Current. It's called based on a book called Against the Current, as I remember, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it was like his typist, right at the end or whatever, right? I think so. I have not. I have not seen this movie, but like you, Dan, I'm. I've added this to my watch list. Uh, I well, find. so like F. Scott, yeah, and like you know, for those who don't know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, obviously Great Gatsby, but like you know, he, not in like a Van Gogh or whatever, like, uh, well, I guess that's not a really good example, but like he, so 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 Fitzgerald wrote this side of Paradise, and it was a monster hit, and people were like, oh shit. 
new guy on the street this side of paradise watch out f scott's in the house watch out and then it was like nothing else hit and like not even gatsby hit the right the reason i don't know if you guys have i feel like i've said this on the b-side probably the great gatsby became the great gatsby because of world war ii because what happened was it undersold when it came out because they thought it was going to be a hit after this side of paradise but it wasn't but they had all of these copies because they thought it was going to be a hit. So they had all these extra copies of The Great Gatsby. So when the soldiers went overseas to World War II, the government gave them all packs with like cigarettes and shit like that. And they put stuff like books in the packs oh. because they had all these extra copies of The Great Gatsby. All the soldiers went overseas, had a book in their pack, Great Gatsby. They read it. They came back. They liked it. And it became a hit after. So like by then... I don't even know if Fitzgerald's alive, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, he died with no money. You right. know? Like, And he was writing The Love of the Last Tycoon and never got finished, right? They ultimately published it. I think b- with the help of this woman, I think is what the movie's about. Like, I think this, this young woman, like, helped get The Last Tycoon published. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, anyway, it's just, in- I mean, it's all of it's interesting is the point. So even if the movie's moderately good, I'm like super excited to watch. Yeah, Frances Roll King is the author of the the book, yes, and yes. she died at 99 in 2015. So she outlived Damn. Henry Brommel, which is very interesting. Holy to think. Oh, that's fuck. crazy. Yeah. Wow. Um, that miniseries is called Out of Order. Uh, I see a lot of people on Letterboxd saying they're not able to find the full miniseries. And on mm-hmm. Amazon Prime... You can watch an hour and 38 minutes, so I don't know if they edit it down to a movie. And then on Pluto TV, I just booted it up, and it's an hour and 55 minutes. So I don't know what's going There's, on. Is that with ads? I don't know. Well, on Pluto, it's all, it's all I think it's all ads. Their ads are burnt into yeah. the runtime. Right. Yeah, Brommel directed five episodes of it, and it also has, um, you know, Eric Stoltz, but also William H. Macy. So, like, I guess Brommel liked Macy uh, from working on Panic, because this is, when is that show out of order? Is what it's 2002. Later, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the cast in that show was wild. Uh, I would wonder if it's any good. But, um, Felicity Huffman was a, was a published writer as well. Right? Yes, he, he did a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, the context I wanted to give, because uh, I mean, this is an artisan film. Uh, although it was funny, Kevin, you tweeted on the. I think it was you who tweeted on the almost major Twitter account about like you know if you watch this movie now on like Hoopla, it's now Lionsgate that has the logo pop up. Not it's so depressing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know. Yeah. It is. I mean, it, it makes sense, it. but. Is it as is it as depressing as going to see the last duel in its twentieth century studios? No, I, I think you're missing think, something there. Why? Why not. is the logo that? Oh, it's it's so I, small. I got a fucking Disney Plus like screeners available for awards consideration thing, and it was like Cruella, Luca, Shang Chi, and then the last duel was at the bottom. <laughs> and I was like, one of these is not like the other. So <laughs> I just let me just can I say let me just say one thing with the last duel? Yes, please. Great film, by the way. At least I love it. Very good movie. One of my favorite movies of the year. Same. Um, Very good. Um, But here's the thing. People acting like it's some huge harbinger of doom because of audiences not seeing it. That's not – I don't think that's the right way to think about it. Like, The Last Duel was a movie that Fox was making amongst the merger scenario. Mm Mm-hmm. They made it because there was enough power behind it to make it. By the time it's coming out or being made, whatever, right, amongst the COVID, pre, you know, whatever, uh, Fox takes all of 20th Century Fox. Or, sorry, Disney takes all of 20th Century Fox. Right. 
So, like, you're not going to convince me that Disney saw The Last Duel and was like, yeah, let's put our power behind this movie. Like, they released it in theaters, fine. They released it wide, great. But, like, there wasn't a lot of heft behind the marketing. You can't tell me that. So, like, yeah. Very very out. similar to The Empty Man. Yeah, they, they just dumped that. They, kind of, kind of. Except they The Empty Man is another good movie. No, yeah, the Empty Man good. has the, like, isn't the joke about Empty Man is, like, that movie, Fox gave so little a shit about it that, like, they accidentally released it with the 20th Century Fox logo after the merger had happened or whatever. <laughs> really? Well, David, <laughs> I David, didn't even consider David that. Pri- David Pryor has said, I believe, that, like, that cut of The Empty Man, he doesn't even consider the final cut uh, because of the way it ended up. Wow. Like, he, he would have – it's either he would have cut stuff or added – I don't know, but, like – And we're never um, getting a director's cut. If you've seen cut. it, I would, I would think he should cut some stuff. <laughs> but that movie is good. Um, it is good. It's a little long, but yeah. um, there's some empty scenes in it. Oh, there um, it is. Yeah. But, um, to go back to The Last Duel yeah. real anyway, quick. Last Duel, yeah. Uh, real quick about The Last Duel is I saw it opening night in my town's like theater and it was one of the few i think it was the only film that was not a franchise film like they had no time to die they had halloween kills and to be fair they dumped it in the middle of october it was like october 15th or something yeah so like and then we got into the theater and my roommate and i there were like i don't know five to six people in that theater and we were just kind of like yeah fuck i mean it, it, it sucks that like i mean and I'm glad they only released it in theaters for that time because it is such a grand, like, uh, I mean, I, I, it feels cliche to call it an epic, but it has that scope that a lot of movies won't have if you're watching it at home unless you have, like, a 4K, you know, TV, which, in that case, by all means, fucking buy the 4K because it looks fucking amazing. But it, it, it is a bummer, and the subject matter is really tough, um, but I feel like, I mean... I don't know if any of you have been engaging with the discourse, but it's become so simplistic in a way that is not fair to that movie. And on top yeah. of that, like Nicole Olofsoner yeah. apparently doesn't exist unless it's convenient. Oh yeah. And Nicole Olofsoner's only been, you know, making and writing movies for the past 20 plus years. So fuck that. Mm-hmm. Show. Oh, yeah. But yeah, she's one of the best working filmmakers. I mean, I, yeah. you know, and, and, and like another thing that's, I haven't really been following the discourse, but like one thing, I have not heard talked about is it's pretty funny. It's really <laughs> like, funny. I mean, Matt like, Damon like, and you know, Ben Affleck are buffoons. That whole movie, they're yeah. And it's just the, the, the this thing happens. I find with a lot of bigger films, let's say, where there seems to be this um, uniformity to tone that can be suffocating. Which is to say, like, yes, is the Last Duel a challenging movie about? Um, you know, dual narratives and, you know, the culture of man and, you know, rape. And yes, of course. I mean, that's what the whole thing's about. But it's still an entertaining, at times, hilarious movie that also deals with these very difficult things. Like, yes, Gladiator, it is not, right? Which is to say, it is not a bombastic, rollicking, entertaining piece of work every minute which like gladiator i think is a great example of like really good hollywood entertainment like it's, you're not gonna pro you're not gonna learn anything but who cares it's cheese it's, a fun movie. it's cheese it's yeah, great and that's fine yeah. and that's fine it's great like but the last duel is a, there's a bit more going on fine but it's still fun as hell it's funny it's just like i don't you know i think it's it, it does that part of it 
obviously that's not Disney's fault, right? But it's like, but but that part of it does it is a little sad because it yeah. feels like you're 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 treading into water of, um, you know, the art equals endorsement thing, which is so funny. Right. If anything, if anything, I think the movie's great because it is blunt in terms of having a Rashomon. Speaking of which, we just talked about mm. on the Ghost Dog episode. I think right, the more right. layers you peel back, the more you realize how blunt it is, and they're not being in any way subtle about what actually happened without spoiling anything they are very direct about which perspective is the right one which right the the the, the truest one yeah right? yeah exactly i don't want to say exactly what happens but yeah like once yeah. it comes to that point it's not if anything i mean i think that movie is about how men fucking suck <laughs> it's ultimately the thing that was interesting with um, you know, this being an artisan movie is the interview I found with Henry Brummel. He seems to kind of shit on artisan actually and how they deal with the oh. movie. So the movie premieres at Sundance and uh, artisan buys buys it at, at Sundance. Um, but in this, do you have the number? Um, I don't have the number. Not in this article I found. It's um, okay. That's I fine. Bet, that's I fine. bet whatever it was, you couldn't believe how much it was back right. then. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this was uh, an interview with Henry Brommel, uh, published on Nitrate Online, um, and he said uh, Brommel actually gives more praise to uh, Stephen Hunter and uh, Roger Ebert for how much they liked the movie. They said without them, it wouldn't have gotten out. What happened was that the company that bought it at Sundance Artisan uh, was unknown to me in the initial stages of filing for bankruptcy. The entire marketing de- uh, department quit the day they bought the film. Um, Stephen Hunter had seen the film at the Maryland Film Festival, liked it a lot, and asked uh, if when it was coming out so he could review it. Hearing it was in limbo, he got up the guns and wrote that article about the film being sold to cable. Roger Ebert read it and then scolded everyone on the show, on, on his show. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd actually like to watch that old Roger Ebert episode and see Same. if I can find it. Um, but um, I actually looked it up on Siskel and Ebert. Well, there's not like an official, but I yeah. there are there is a website uh, where you can look up old archival yeah. episodes. And I tried to find it and it's just not there. But anyway. <laughs> I'm sure I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll find it someday. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. And then... Um, it says Bill uh, Brummel says Bill Banning, who owns Roxy Releasing, which is now distributing the film, having seen the film at Sundance then last summer, watched Ebert on television, called up Artisan, the original purchaser, and after a lot of bickering around, got the film. And then uh, there's a guy, Joe Barber, I guess he was like the one conducting the interview, says, so Artisan, the Blair Witch people didn't see what they had here? And Brummel says, that was my reaction. What are they, idiots? And then they, it says, <laughs> and then uh, it's written in the article, it says the audience laughs in agreement. And it's like, okay, who's like writing this? Like, is Brummel writing the audience reactions? Like saying, yes, they agree with me. But like, um, yeah, it's weird that they were, they were going to go into bankruptcy when they bought it in, when Sundance, February 99? Or so? Yeah, January into February. 2000, 2000, 2000. Right, it would have been 2000. So Blair Witch had already came out and literally broken records for independent movies, and they're still going into bankruptcy? That's that's uh, Brommel's account, but he, Brommel also says, uh, truthfully, it was both that they didn't know what to do with it and that they were crumbling internally. It wasn't so much planned evil as it was benign neglect. And then we saw what they did with Blair Witch 2. The first one they had nothing to do with. So that's... You know, that's what Brommel says. I, Which, he's not, he's, he's not, not wrong. wrong about that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, that, you know, he's not wrong about that. Um, it's similar to The Passion of the Christ, right? Which that was, um, I can't remember, New Market. New Market, And that was yeah. like, New Market kind of tripped over that one, and it was the biggest thing in the world, right? Which, you know, you know, I think, 
you can kind of parse who deserves the credit and all that. Right, but right. That's interesting. That's an interesting. Um, yeah. I've been trying to look to see if um, if I can find the price. Summit acquired the international rights. I see that, and obviously Artisan and Summit were connected in some respects, but I can't find a number. But yeah, I mean, obviously this has come up on the B side, but. Back then, we talked about this with Steve Zahn even when he came on our little our podcast. Um, Happy Texas, which is like the year before this, right? Was like the biggest purchase in the history of Sundance, and that was kind of back when, so like, weird. You know, there would just be bidding wars, right? Like, you know, betwixt, you know, like big studio, like actual studios, right? Like Paramount would go to Sundance, like that's just you know stuff like that, like mm-hmm. just a different type of deal. You know, now it's weird because the streamers, to a lesser degree, do that. It's, like, kind of funny, like, where it's, like, Netflix outbid Amazon for fucking, you know, like, you know, a movie that they're going to put out on February and you never will know is even on Netflix. Like, you know. Right. Because uh, I, mean, I remember uh, the biggest purchase was, like, Birth of a Nation and then Palm Springs oof, came out right. and then that was the biggest purchase and then I, I think that's the biggest one so far. I was there at, mm. I was at Sundance for Birth of a Nation and then that, that Me purchase too. was even bigger than um, Mineral the Dying Girl, which is a horror. Uh, <laughs> shot in Pittsburgh? Shot, hey! Oh! Shot in Pittsburgh? Yeah. And it was... It, Me, Mineral and the Dying Girl is a great example <laughs> of... I, I call it sun, Sundance Fever. Yes. There you go. Which is... Uh, not, uh, it's not a... Not a great... It's yeah. not good. It's not good. It's not good. Yes. But it's but 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 I'll say this. It's a great example of like when I was there and that movie was you know, get they're adding screenings, you know, and like you're going online, you know, when you're there, you're like, What have you seen? What have you seen? It's like, Oh me and me and me Earl, me Earl you know, and everybody's talking about it. But I wasn't able to catch it or I wasn't assigned it or whatever, like I just didn't catch it. And then like I saw it when it was out and I remember just being like, This was the movie? <laughs> Yeah. And it's just sometimes that happens. Like, and, and you know, it, that doesn't mean anything specific. It's just like sometimes just like it's like a fever, fever, social engagement thing. Like Beasts of the Southern Wild got Oscar nominations. And like people, some people love that movie. I get it. There's obviously there's things you can point to, critical things mm-hmm. as well. But like, you know, that movie, but that movie transfer like that that was yeah. it for in you know in real life it, it, but like me and earl me and earl dropped like a like a stone i like, i was so. at the so i had a ticket for whatever won the um the grand jury prize you had a ticket for whatever won the grand jury prize dramatic right, 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 and it was right. just like we were all checking twitter on our phones for updates of like what are we going to see because i was like well if i've already seen it i'm just going to like you know scout my ticket and then just go to a party or something Hell and it was yeah. me and earl and the dying girl and i was kind of like okay yeah that's i haven't seen that i'll i'll go see it and it was it was insane because people were giving standing ovations people were teary-eyed and i just kind of sat in my seat being like is this really happening right now like 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 there there's so many people were just uproarious in their love of it and then yeah once it hit general theaters people were like appropriately being like uh <laughs> but what if there what if there was a dying girl? <laughs> that is true. And what if those guys really liked Criterion movies? What if? Yeah, what if? What if um, there was an offensive stereotype of a black character who was your best friend? Uh, I, I asked that too many times. But Brighton, is there anything else from that interview that caught your eye? 
Um. Oh yeah, his dad worked for the Brommel's dad worked for the CIA. Uh, he's. I mean, he talks about that, and I guess that that history comes into like the into play with one of his novels. Uh, he had an interview with RandomHouse.com talking about this book called Little America, which is written two years after Panic comes out, and. He talks about how, like, he studied Cold War politics, interviewed members of the CIA who were, like, working for them during the 50s, including this father, uh, brings him to another kind of research team, investigation of memory. Uh, grew, uh, he says, I grew up in the world I am writing about, son of a CIA officer stationed throughout the Middle East in the 1950s, so I relied on my memory, sense memory, that is a child's experiences. Uh, that seems to kind of come into play with panic, I feel like, sort of like the influence of like fathers and mm -hmm. sons. I mean, he talks about that uh, being a thing that he's interested in, like manipulation of fathers and sons in, when he's talking about panic. Uh, but that is interesting. That, I mean, it makes you think like, so like, was your dad like William H. Macy, like killing people and like also like being a state, like a, a regular suburban dad? Like, I don't know. It's Or was you your dad like Donald Sutherland? <laughs> like, Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Are you one of these middle-aged guys who's tired of his marriage and thinks maybe a beautiful young thing could help him out? What do you do for a living? I work for my father. Doing what? I kill people. When I see her, this girl, I don't feel dead anymore. You're married, Alex. I sound like some jealous middle-aged housewife. I've been seeing a shrink. What are you seeing a shrink for? I'm thinking of quitting. Your father worked hard all his life to make this business. I didn't know better. I think you were dragging your feet. What's the first thing I taught you, Alex? You get paid for killing people. You can't tell anyone what we do. You want me to have an affair with you. You want me to be your mistress. Clients are starting to get antsy. I can't do this anymore. Are you going to kill someone again? You got a new job. The point is, I know him. So he's a completely normal Joe who kills people for a living. This man is my patient. Business is business, Alex. A job is a job. Here are the rules. She never finds out, and we never fall in love. Did he happen to mention who? No, but I think it's going to be me. Ready to make your move? When you were saying two years after panic, I was gonna I was gonna say that's how we all should judge time, like BP and AP, but whatever. Um, real quick on the cast, we have William H. Macy as Alex. He was, uh, before this, of course, nominated for an Oscar for Fargo in 1996. Nev Campbell as Sarah Cassidy. She was in a little-known movie called, uh, Scrim? I don't know what that... Scream! Okay, haven't heard of it. Uh, John Ritter as Dr. Josh Parks. Of course, played Jack on Three's Company, of course, and in Sling Blade in 1996. Donald Sutherland as Michael. You've heard of him, mostly known for his role in Virus from 1999. Um, Tracy Ullman as Martha. Of course, the Tracy Ullman show. She's in Small Time Crooks the same year. A Dirty uh, Shame. Right, dirty, right, yeah. Afterwards. A couple years a couple years out. Killer films? Killer films? Yeah. Hey. Uh, funny that her show was the very early showcase of Simpsons, but she only guessed it on yeah. Simpsons once. But then I looked it up. And she tried to sue them in 1992 for profits and lost. So that's probably why yeah, they were... Yeah, I don't were... think she loves yeah. Castle Nettle or you know, those guys. Yeah. Um, the only trivia I could find is uh, Bryden was talking about this, and I didn't know how this came to be, so I'm glad he, was, he found some info on that. But yeah, it was meant to be an HBO movie. Um, when it was released in Brazil, it caused controversies. I don't 
No, I doubt it. But because the movie translated Portuguese title was Pandico, which was already given to the slasher film Scream. I don't oh, know. Campbell's yeah. yeah. I don't know about these controversies we're talking about here. I think one person was just like, hey, that's the same title. And they were like, you're right. Um, I mean, if you went into panic. <laughs> <laughs> you could, you might be scandalized. But, but controversy, like, wait a minute. Controversy is a word that has weight to it. Like, <laughs> I know, like, like it, it, the Wikipedia, like you go to the controversy section. Like this movie does not have like. Well, in Brazil, they didn't know what to call it. You know. That's funny. But uh, yeah, uh, can we do some initial thoughts, sure. Dan? When was the first time you watched it? Because you said that you have seen it and nobody yeah. else has seen it, so. Long time ago, yeah, I can't place a year on it, but it feels like I must have watched it, um, you know, when we, when my parents got whatever the cable was, and there were like the Encore channels, and like, maybe the Sundance channel, that feels like a Sundance channel movie, maybe, like... And I watch stuff like Julian Poe and like Panic, and there's like another William H Macy movie from right around then. I could probably find it, but like The Cooler, The Cooler, I I rented because I was excited for The Cooler, um, which is a very interesting movie. Um, I haven't seen it, but that's the same time period, right? I'm not Just the only thing I. Yeah. A years later. Yeah. The only thing uh, I know about the cooler is its section, and uh, this movie is not your rated. Same. That's all I know. With Maria Bello. Yeah. Deservedly and rightfully outraged. Yeah. Right. 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 Oh yeah, yeah. So the other one is um, yeah. The other movie is Focus, which with William H Macy, which is a World War Two movie. It's all like another one word. Uh, title anyway yeah and also um freaking welcome to collinwood as well right underrated underrated movie uh with directed by the the The, two brothers who have uh fucking who have scaled russo Russo brothers russo of course yes brothers russo who who have scaled the the world of cinema um my dumb ass thought you were talking about welcome to mooseport so i'm just gonna stop talking Welcome to Collinwood's good though, and, and even and I really love you, me, and Dupree. So like they've made two movies I really do love, which uh, is funny. But anyway, um, yeah. But anyway, a long time ago, and it was just one of those movies I watched on a whim, and it was just like the way the movie is, right? Like the way if you had seen it at Sundance, where it's just like it kind of catches you. You're like, oh, it's like a midlife crisis movie mm-hmm. about a guy who's a hitman, but it's a small business. It's his father's business, right? He's his father's son and it's really less about being a hitman than it is about being a father right realizing your own father's faults and as it compares you know as it seeped into your own and then your sons and just like you know probably the more rote stuff is like nev campbell is the young woman he's infatuated with in that kind of uh, not american beauty ish type of a thing um she is the you know, uh, except she's twenty three. She's it's more legal, um, <laughs> right? Twenty three, twenty three. Um, um, I have to cut in here and say that uh, she please. is the uh, panic pixie dream girl. Thank you. Go had to do it. Had to do it. And I love it. Please continue. I like Bryden silently clapping, <laughs> which you please. can't hear. He's just just yeah. I'll add in the applause afterwards. Nathan Rabin doesn't. I mean, he gets credit for starting that 
phrase, but we should always say that when we say that word, because that's, that's him, man. That's Elizabethtown and Nathan Rabin, Mm -hmm. his manic pixie dream girl. Elizabethtown, which as we know, masterpiece. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Suicide Uh, bike. That's right. Continue. Great movie. Um, (laughs) but anyway, yeah, those are my thoughts. I mean, it's just a movie that sticks with you, lingers with you. It's 80 minutes. God bless. Like, it's like um, a perfect William H. Macy performance. Like, it's so perfectly his whole thing, which is like quiet suffering, right? Like, yeah. it's like, you know, he, like, you know, the whole scene where he's talking to John Ritter, who's the ther- the therapist and is uh-huh. also lovely in the movie is yes. like, and he goes, he's like, I, I don't think I've ever gotten angry. It's like the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. You know, like you're just like. <laughs> and you look at him and you're just like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. The whole thing is like man in a gray flannel suit, you know, early John Updike, like, you know, I suffer alone with my thoughts in my basement and I want to run away. You know, it's like, you know, but I kill people, but like, I don't like doing it. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's just good. It's like, these are the movies that like, it would be some eight episode Hulu show that were like four of the episodes were good and four were like, oh, this is the one where he cheats on his wife and not much else happens, right? Like, and I just like how this is just concise and direct. And, yeah. you know, um, the scenes with his son, when the son is like, you know, I have like a like a 15 month old little boy and like, you know, Hell he's yeah. not at that, that age yet, but like, you know, they do things that are just like weird things. Like they're, you know, they're, they're like figuring it out. So the kid is like, who's the kids from the ring, you know, great, good actor, this kid. And he's a lawyer now. I was looking it up. He stopped acting. He's like, yeah, a, he's like a, it's like a lawyer connected with the house of representatives or something. And he, and he like, he just asked these questions that kids ask, you know, like what's infinity and like, and like, I was what like, do you want me to say? what do you want no, me to I say? It. I don't have the answers. I'm just your dad. Yeah, it was lovely. Yeah. Anyway, those, those are the thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. I think the kid who's also the kid in Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Yeah. Didn't, didn't, didn't y'all have a, we had a group chat and like, didn't he graduate high school at like, eight or some shit like that yeah yeah let me let me pull it up it's david dorfman who is also the david dorfman yeah that's what you're saying yeah yeah sorry he I, was for admitted- those who, no, i had no, to leave fine. the room for a second for anyone listening to this so sorry no, he fine. was admitted to ucla at age 13 yeah he's like he's like little man tate dude. dog wow also yeah, good was, child performance and he was still able to act in drillbit taylor so good for him <laughs> Oh, and he was able to still be in ring two which we all thank him for the first movie <gasps> i was allowed to see past 7 p.m as a teenager the weirdest thing the- about the ring two <laughs> is that they spell out the two it's so because they have to put the ring on the title as Under long as T-W- as long as i'm alive ISO. yeah <laughs> i will never i just see it and i'm like i'm just like no why? They also, they also T- got Sissy Spacek and Elizabeth uh, Perkins for that movie for some reason. I don't the remember de- that. The deer I saw scene, the evil deer scene. The deer oh, scene yeah. is, yeah. We love it, it. I saw it in theaters. The only thing that I remember from it is, of course, uh, Naomi Watts saying, I'm not your fucking mommy, which we all remember. But Oh, uh, my audience cheered at that shit. Yeah. Hell yeah, they did. Uh, and, uh, and look, Naomi. Naomi Watts, she, you know, 
she brought what she needed to for that fucking movie. So yeah, yeah. As she does with every movie, and she's one of my favorite actresses. And my God, her agent needs to do better. But that's besides the point. The original ring, fantastic. But yeah, the mm. it holds up. It's great. Oh yeah, it's great. Uh, Charlie, what are your initial thoughts with uh, Panico? Panico. So I thought this movie. So I will admit when it started, like like we talked about earlier uh like i i i kind of was like oh my god i miss kind of like small scale intimate dramas or black comedies like this like mm-hmm. i was kind of right. like i'm all in for this like it i do have a soft spot <laughs> as someone who who was you know born in the man. very early 90s yeah oh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> like I was I was kind of like I miss movies like this but I mm. immediately predicted where it was going to go and I don't like that's the most boring shit ever I know that is the most boring shit ever I knew where this was going to go like it doesn't matter if it, mm. you know where it's going to go it only matters about the emotional impact of, upon the destination well, it mad- yeah I mean it matters if it affected like if it didn't engage with you and you know where it was yeah. going to go, then it matters. You know? Well, thank you for cutting me some slack there because I don't want to come off as a smart ass and being like, I knew exactly what this film's destination was. But as soon as a certain plot point hit, I was kind of like, I bet it's going to go this route. And right. it's not bad by any means. I think many scenes are good, especially I think Nev Campbell is the MVP of this film, which as so good. Kevin rightfully uh, coined panic pixie dream girl like like okay sure she does serve william h macy's arc but her dialogue but her dialogue and the way she delivers it is so playful and so fun and she knows exactly how to how to um deliver every uh single line in a way that is kind of like you know i thought it's not that i didn't know where certain scenes with her and william h macy were going to go based on our demeanor in the first act but it didn't matter because i personally miss nev campbell so much i know that we get her every eight years for a scream sequel but i don't understand why we're getting her next month maybe why hollywood doesn't know how to skyscraper bro well you ever heard of skyscraper bro (laughs) i never saw skyscraper not isn't she the worst worst movie ever made i mean she gets stuff to do in it too yeah Yeah, she gets like an action scene there's a skyscraper I also think it's worth noting, Kevin, you are wearing a Wild Things shirt, which I'm I damn right. That. Wait, can I we just... just also say real quick? So Kevin's wearing a Wild Things shirt. Brian's yes. wearing a skyscraper shirt, which is cool. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, Charlie is wearing a. Oh God, I'm not good at this joke. What was the movie she was in? Like 2005. Uh, when when will... will I be loved? Yeah. Oh, when will I be loved? Shirt. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, the the toe back, the toe back. <laughs> dare dare we say his name? Dare we say his name? Uh, yes, yes. I I thought it was interesting in that this isn't just a story about like William H Macy is groomed to be a hitman is what I thought was interesting mm-hmm. about this movie. It was grooming in the ways that um he was not born into this lifestyle. It's not anything he wanted to be, and in fact, it it is parents were abusive and then that that i thought the ways that the film even if it never fully dives into this like deals with his child and the the cyclical um because he doesn't want david dorfman his son to be in this lifestyle at all but it always seeps out based on the relationship with his father i thought that was the most interesting stuff i guess 
that when it got to its conclusion, I was kind of like, this is what I expected. And I didn't get a huge form of pathos from it. I, I know this is weird because it's not grooming by any means, but I kept thinking of Paul Schrader's film Affliction, if any of you have seen that. Yeah, there's similarities. Yeah. There, there, there's similarities in regards to rage and violence there. And it's a completely different type of story. But I was thinking about how watching that film i was like this isn't gonna end well but it didn't matter because once it got to that conclusion i was just like devastated and again it's not even fair for me to compare that film against the other but i i guess by all means it's and i feel like this word is kind of an insult and i apologize for that it felt serviceable to me but at the same Mm -hmm. time like if i'd seen this at you know when it came out in 2000 i feel like i would have had much more appreciation for it and i do think that i am kind of spoiled by the fact that so many independent films are so accessible now that i was able to see so many other films like this before this one when this film came out if if that makes any sense right because i i I really wanted to like this movie more than i did and i think there are interesting scenes especially when it comes to donald sutherland interacting with david dorfman who's william h macy's son i just i yeah, it, it was kind of by the numbers for me, but at the same time, the cast is amazing. I mean, Macy's great, and of Campbell, I've already talked about. I think Tracy Ullman as the wife has, you know, what could be a thankless role. And at one point, she does. At one point, I was like, what are you doing? And then she eventually does stand up for herself in a way that I was not expecting. Uh, yeah, like, but like, yeah, I thought it was fine. I was never bored. It's 90 minutes, not even. I think it's like 87 or something. Yeah, it's like 84. Yeah. Yeah. So I had nostalgia for this type of movie that we won't get that much. But at the same time, I was kind of underwhelmed. I hope that was somewhat coherent in yeah. some way. <laughs> yeah. Um, just to move things along, I thought it was fine. I'll talk about it more when we get to the plot and whatnot. Bryden, go ahead. Yeah, I'll try to keep my uh, my thoughts uh, succinct here. But um, I thought this was it, this movie is pretty familiar in terms of the beats that it hits. Uh, but I think it's a good case of like it's not necessarily what it's about, but how it's about it. Like I think like there are mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. interesting like details that make it like in the performance and like some of the writing in the performances in the writing and like the direction that like make it uh not just like feel like a run-of-the-mill movie um i mean like right. thinking of like stuff that's like kind of similar i mean the year before sopranos is like all about like uh, in 1999 like that's talking about like you know uh organized crime people like you know talking not being able to talk about their feelings and I talk about it in therapy and like that's kind of like a plot point here where john sutherland is saying like i can't believe you're talking about this in therapy one because like you know be a man and don't talk about your feelings but also you're gonna blow the operation right um, but um that's that's unfair for me to say but like it but it's like you've seen these kind of movies before but then like um and i don't think uh the nev campbell character as as good as campbell is in the movie i don't think her character is especially well written i feel like it's like a they, and that seems the relationship even though it is kind of a driving force in the movie it feels like the movie's not quite as interested in that part of the movie as um as it is in the father-son relationship but um i mean it's the performances are just so wonderful throughout i mean macy i mean he's just like born to play like sad sack characters just like the way he's like you know when like the moment when uh he says to macy he says to sutherland like i'm thinking about like quitting the business and like sutherland just sort of like laughs at him and then like macy just sort of like laughs back then like it's only for like half a second and he just like retreats within himself and like looks down just like he can't even like fake being happy convincingly it's it's so it's such a bone deep sadness and i love um 
I love the scenes with the, the son. I mean, it is like, it's it's like, again, the writing of that kid could easily have been so cringy where it's like him asking about like the infinity and like the state of the world and everything. And it's like, okay, like this could be bad, but Dorfman, like there is like just kind of an unusual inquisitive energy to him and like he almost like and like the the gestures that he has like when he's like talking to his dad like sort of like stroking his hair and everything like i i have a three-year-old nephew who like loves to do that like he'll like he'll like constantly like trying to grab my grandparents hair like so he can like just like sort of grab onto something so it's... does that nephew also love beck as much as he does <laughs> he right. likes beck he likes beck <laughs> that's that great placement of a um <clears throat> Mercury Rev song in this movie. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know how many I don't know how many Mercury Rev fans we have here in the Zoom, but I was like pleasantly surprised. Like, oh, what's up, Mercury Rev? What's up, the year two thousand? <laughs> what's up, Deserter songs? What's up? Um, but uh, yeah, I think all your points are well said. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely Brian and how you said it. Um. You know, not what it's about, but how it's about it. And I think it's certainly how you respond to those little moments. Like, you know, I know Kevin, you'll, you'll, Kevin, you'll go into the plot, but like midway through the movie, he's watch, uh, William H. Macy's watching John Ritter and Ritter's mugged and Macy's there for potentially nefarious reasons. Conveniently, <laughs> conveniently, he's yeah, being mugged. sure. Yeah. Well, well, sure. But, but, sure. But yeah. <laughs> what makes the scene is, I think, Macy's reaction is so great because he's like rolls his eyes in this way that's kind of like, yeah. yeah. Like, and he ends up saving him, which, of course, you know, that scene has happened in other movies. Right, right, right. Like, it was going to go this way, I went this way, the irony, blah, blah, blah. Fine. And yeah, there's nothing in here that isn't that right like mm -hmm. these these are beats that have been beat beaded in other things right and i think you know w when you get into these small movies it just becomes what works and what doesn't right so i think it's just for for me and it, it part of it might be nostalgia because i saw it at the right time a million years ago and rewatching it brought me back i don't know i mean whatever but but um yeah it all it really basically all hits pretty perfectly for me um yeah like i will say the the flashbacks rough stuff a yeah. little saucy a little saucy little uh, yeah a <laughs> little bit too much ketchup on the hot dog or whatever but like um yeah but i mean sutherland's great tracy allman like what a banner year for her right mm -hmm. because small time crooks probably lesser woody whatever but like she's so good in that movie i don't know if you guys have seen that but like you know, these are two really good performances by someone who really should have been, like, the biggest star in the world. Like, Tracy Ullman's, like, one of the funniest people who's ever lived. She like, rules, yeah. And she's, like... And, he, like, even Tracy Takes On is a good show, like, her initial show, too. Like, she was great. Like, is great still. But, like... But, um... Her, hear her being dramatic... Lovely. I keep saying lovely as we record, but it's appropriate. She's so... She makes a thankless role not not so thankless. She's even obviously she's also allowed feet. to be funny, I guess, in that way where yeah, like like at times where she's like, I've never been paranoid. The last time I was paranoid was when I was doing coke, and that was before I was pregnant. Like like throwaway <laughs> stuff like, I was like that. Like what? But but yeah, but yeah. that's like to, to her mother-in-law. Yeah, right? to her yeah. mother-in-law. I thought that was great. Those little throwbacks where it's like that reveals so much about her character without saying too much at all. Right. Sorry to interrupt. Right. I just thought that was an interesting 
Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 yeah. Okay, so we start out. The Macy is smoking. And he says, you ever get the feeling that you're dead? And I was like, god damn, Macy's spitting. But his name is Alex. He's uh, going to see a therapist who's John Ritter. Uh, he's talking with Nev Campbell, even though he's married. There's a flashback to the first time they met outside of the therapist's office. We learned that Alex, uh, he uh, sells things out of his house, which we don't really get to see. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's just like, I, he's pretty much just doing that to cover up how he actually probably gets his money uh, and works for his father killing people. I don't know why I put killing people. Um, Alex, yeah, then there's the flashback to Alex uh, walking by this guy, which I really thought was a cool scene. He just walks right by him, shoots him, and immediately, like, just picks up his briefcase or something like that and then throws the gun away. Uh, he's married to Martha, who we were talking about. That's Tracy Ullman. Uh, tells his mother only he's going to therapy, but then his mom, of course, tells uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, his dad. Uh, his mom asks uh, Alex if he's not getting enough sex, and that's why he's depressed, which is a line. Uh, Alex has a six-year-old son named uh, Sammy. They lay in bed, and they're talking about God and death and infinity, and he's... I was telling them, it was like, is this the most precocious kid ever in a movie? I don't know. But he's he's up there. He's even no. more precocious in the ring, though. No. In the ring, he's like making his own peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and being like, "I'm going to school." And like <laughs> Naomi Watts is just like holding a videotape on her bed. Like, but the performance, okay, well, but the performance uh, yeah. is so good because like it he's is good. Like, he's good. It, it's it's like kind of like a morose energy. The, the the gesture that I loved is when like his dad is like you know sort of like you know Macy's just like sort of leaning against the counter with his uh, hand on his chin. And then, like, his son just, like, sort of turns to him and then, like, does the exact same thing, like, as he's, like, saying, so, Dad, like, what's going on with you or whatever? It's, like, <laughs> you can imagine that being played, like, a million different ways and not working. But here it's just, like, sort of, like, that is, like, a thing that kids do where it's, like, oh, like, this adult's doing this? Like, I guess I should do it. And, like, he does it not in, like, in a super um, over-exaggerated way. He just, it's, like, very, like, understated how he just, like, sort of, like, slowly adopts it. And it's just, like, yeah, like, what's up? Like, it's... Yeah, like, I... So, I think when you talk about bad child acting i think precocious is an easy target and it's not the right target because mm. i think it's and look god knows jake lloyd has gotten enough criticism yeah. well, so i hate to go back to the well okay and i apologize to jake okay but it's a good example it's not because kids are clever right like that's well, right just, right like, that is just something that's true, right? It's more like with, like, Jake Lloyd and Jingle All the Way, it's just, like, wooden, right? Like, mm -hmm. like he's delivering lines in a theatrical way, in, in a direct, cohesive way that kids are not like, right? So I think, like, the David Dorfman of it all is, like, there might be, it might be too cute by half in spots, but it feels organic because it feels... A fluid and like it feels um you know natural like genuine genuine but what's the word like like slipstream like he's just like thinking of things and asking his dad because he's a kid and he's thinking mm -hmm. like it's not like jake Lloyd's like you didn't come to my tournament and that made me sad and it's like okay the kid wouldn't say it. The kid would be sad. Uh -huh. Maybe say something else. Right, right, right. But like, you, you know what I mean? That's where you get into bad 
kid actor. They also like, they also curse a ton in front of him, and he never has like that. Oh, like they do have. It, what's funny is in the beginning they were like, "Dad, you said the S word," and then they right, throw out way Shulman, yeah. yeah they threw out way worse words in front of him, and he's too That's afraid funny. to say anything. Which I thought was a well, nice I think touch. Well, I think it's because Sutherland is saying most of them, right? right. It's like that well, weird grandpa relationship. Well, Macy also like, drops fuck at one point. He does, he does. So Yeah, but then he's actually mad, though, so it's a different reaction. Yeah, right. It's, yeah. It's like, God damn it, Sammy! Because he's, he's acting like his grandpa. It's yeah. Um, um, interesting, we, just uh, really quickly, uh, Brommel ahead, in an interview said that a lot of those scenes where it's just Macy and Dorfman were improvised, like a lot of like ad-libbing sure. to nice. make him loosen up. So I think that's why, and I, I think a big part of why Dorfman's performance works is that Macy's chemistry with him is like so good, where like, mm-hmm. he's like sort of yeah, like, yeah. he is like kind of like... Good casting, good casting for the family. Yeah, very bemused kind of by this kid's questions, while also like being like, he has like a line where he's like, Sammy, it's late. So like, really kind of like an annoyed <laughs> drawl to his voice where he's like, I love you, but... Please stop. Like it's it's really yeah, funny. Seriously, yeah. I I, for, I forgot a book of Henry. That's the most precocious child Oof. ever. Anyways, <sighs> right. That's a good example of <laughs> uh, you know two cube I have. Yeah. 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 Uh, we learned that Nev Campbell's character is Sarah. Uh, Martha, Alex's wife, doesn't know he kills people. Uh, there's a brilliant cut to Nev Campbell in therapy going, "I like pussy, all right." Is there anything wrong with that? That made me laugh really hard. Uh, well, it's also she, because it. it, it I'm well, sorry. What did she say after that? Well, it, it, yeah, she says. Well, he's talking. What about, if it's like you look at me like I kill people? Yeah, <laughs> but it also is right before like John Ritter being like, "So, thank you for being honest with me about what your profession is, but I have to let you know that if I think you are planning to kill someone in particular, I have a legal obligation to go to the authorities after this." And then it cuts to that. So, right. Mm. Yeah. Uh, she she talks about a romantic encounter she had. Alex meets with Alex meets with his dad, and he gives Alex a job. We learned that that job is to kill his therapist, John Ritter. Alex is very much in a malaise with you know the whole killing people for profit thing. He's continually talk, uh, thinking about Sarah and slowly becoming obsessed with her. He met his wife in an elevator where he tells her that she looks like a sex worker, which is how every good relationship begins. Well, there's uh, also that scene that's, I mean, maybe, I'm sorry for interrupting. I feel like I'm interrupting a lot, and I apologize No, you're fine, you're fine. But, eh, keep going. We'll we'll get back into it. I'm sorry. Um, While they're shopping for a bike, we find out that their first date was going to see the Billy Crystal movie Running Scared. Not the Paul Walker Running Scared, but, but... Nice... Nice uh, line, where they never say the name. Yeah, yeah, they never figure out what it was. That, that felt real, right? You you wouldn't know. Yeah, and, and you just kind of. It's funny that like Olman like uses that against him. It's like you don't know. Like like she gets seems to get upset, like but he test. can't remember the name of the movie. And it's like, I mean, my my, my parents like they're like the kind of people who like they're, like they're very smart people. But like I'll, like I'll say I'm like, hey, do you know this movie or whatever? And they're like, I I don't remember what that movie is. I'm like, you saw it three days ago. How do you not remember the name of it? Oh, it's same like, here. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but like Olman like says like you don't even know who I am anymore. It's like, I mean, I feel. I mean, yes, at that point he's fucked up badly with like his relationship, but it's like you know, like it's not. Right. It's not like that's nothing. You're harping on the wrong thing. Like it's yeah. Right. We learned that uh, Sarah is a hairstylist and is talking to a client about Alex and about his beautiful sad eyes. Which, I mean, yeah, Macy's got some oh, yeah, sad eyes. Yeah, they yeah. both. They, they both have beautiful eyes. And she's happy about the idea of seeing him again in the waiting room. Sarah tells Alex the next time they meet that she saw Chekhov's play The Seagull about a young girl falling for an older man and having her heart broken. 
Um, are you one of those guys that is unsatisfied with this marriage and wants a pretty young thing? And then Alex says, are you a pretty young thing? And I was like, this is depressing from Macy. Because you can tell he's like trying, but doesn't, not, not the actor, but the character is like really trying to like tap into something he hasn't tapped into for a while. And he's just very plain and still, still being very sad. Uh, flashback to young Alex and his dad shooting him how to shoot squirrels, which is worse than shooting humans, in my opinion. But I'm just a big squirrel <laughs> fan. I don't know. Sullivan Alex is really w- good in that scene, uh, by the way. Yes. I mean, just sort of like the way that uh, he says, uh, good, look, Alex. Like sort of like the gentle whisper he has where it is like very paternal, but also like so domineering. It's like very creepily effective. Sullivan's great right. in this whole movie. Um, <clears throat> right. Yeah, he's the king of that. Mm. quiet terror yeah which we get a different spin of that later on where it's completely different interaction but uh, alex wakes up in the middle of the night to get a beer which i think we've all been there at three alex in the morning as Tracy three in the, it's three in the morning he's like exactly um alex talks with his dad and, for, and informs him he knows the target of the job alex asks out sarah and she declines uh, this is probably the first time where he's like apologizing and she keeps saying to stop apologizing. Uh, Alex asks out Sarah and she declines. I literally just said that. Sarah and her girlfriend are going to a party. There's a guy at the party that Sarah kisses and dance with. Sarah brings him home and Alex is creeping outside of her house. That is a weird scene. <laughs> so weird. That is a weird scene. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Calls her from a payphone and hangs up when he gets her answering machine. Note, he didn't ask for her number or his or her address, but of course he's, like, connected. Alex tells his wife he's seeing a therapist. She tells Alex's mom that she's, she thinks he's having an affair. Mom says she's paranoid, but she informs Alex's mom that she only gets paranoid when she does coke. Which, yeah. Alex goes to buy a gun and then scopes out his therapist at the restaurant. Alex shows up to Sarah's house and she's confused on how he got her address but still lets him in. He tells her he wants to be with her and she tells him to leave. Uh, Flashback to Alex teaching him about the job. This is Alex at like 20-ish, I believe. Yeah, and Um, do you know who that that actor who is that plays him? Uh, No, I don't. For me, I thought like, oh, they actually got like a pretty good like sort of like ringer for like young Macy and everything. It's the guy though from Office Space who's like, I'm going to show her my O face or whatever. Fuck off. Really? Yeah. That is him. Wow. Oh. And the gun runner in that good scene is Nick Cassavetes. Oh, that's why and he's that's a, holy that's shit. That's why he's sent to the credits. A, okay, that makes sense. And that's wow. a fun scene where he's talking about how the healthcare, like the HMOs, changed or whatever, and he's like trying to. There's like, I mean, that's like you you, may, you mentioned the Sopranos. I mean, yeah, that's like very like, you know, I'm a gun runner. Let me talk about my bad situation with my healthcare. You know, it's funny. It's cute. Yeah, I get. It. I mean. Your mileage may vary with those scenes, totally. No, but, but and what I like about this movie too is that like these are like kind of like eccentric hitman movies. I feel like are like kind of like a, a genre in itself. I mean, like Gross Point Blank is another really good example of this right, movie. Right, very Gross Point but Blank. But like, yeah. um, 
it, I, I love kind of like how normy everyone looks. Like Will, Will, William H Macy is not the first actor I would think of to cast as like a professional hitman nowadays. No. I mean, if you were going to make this movie, yeah. would you cast a guy like William H Macy or a character actor, or would you cast like an action star? I don't want to be cynical and say you'd cast like an action star in this kind of movie, like uh, or that's, Chris Pine or something. Yeah. yeah, and like not to like, and you know that's uh, that's an example of like you know what it probably would be like star casting, not to like dunk on Chris Pine, who I think is a very good actor, but like I'd like he is. Yeah. I, I I I don't know. I like sort of like the plaid shirts and like you know everyone's like having these meetings and like kind of like dimly lit restaurants where they're having like you know ordering like chicken uh you know to like just like while they're talking business and everything and you know small town diners i don't know i just right. I, I kind of like the regular life details i know that is like maybe a bit of a again soprano thing where it is like oh i gotta one of my yeah yeah one of my favorite things and this is just like a production thing is with small movies like this they're like no extras which i always mm-hmm. think yeah yeah Sometimes the small movies, it doesn't matter. I, I don't think it really matters, but it is a little funny where it's like, no, oh, we live in this world where there's seven people. In this world. <laughs> like, you know, it's like Nick Cassavetes and my family, yeah. you know, like, and it's like and Nev Campbell and her roommate, right? And like the, the, the club scene where she's like kissing the guy. Yeah. And they're doing that whole thing. That's the only, they must have spent a fortune on that. You know, I don't, you know, whatever, like. And they, they blew their load in the club, on the club scene. They but, still only have like twenty people in that club. Right, so even <laughs> yeah. not even a big. Yeah. yeah, but then it is really cool. I mean, that like lack of extras. That's funny you point that out. But that's really effective for like the opening murder scene where it is just like the hot dog it vendor, is, it and is. it's like there's just all this empty it space. It's just so yeah, it's a great shot. eerie I mean, and unreal. Looking. That lens, the the lens, the optic choice, uh, it saves that scene. Mm-hmm. Like the lens choice saves that scene because it it's too. It's not normal. It, it, it's weird, weird looking enough to be off-putting. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To to give the movie credit and also kind of criticize it at the same time, I think it's interesting that the last exchange of dialogue is uh, between, or at least in the last scene, uh, it's Tracy Ullman waiting for David Dorfman to get out of therapy. We've spoiled right. this mm. at this point, right? Like, no not yet yeah. but uh, thanks uh, a lot man yeah <laughs> <laughs> no you're fine keep going so so you know uh, no well have we i don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. it's no, fine no, it's fine go ahead okay okay so yeah william h macy after he kills his father which is the inevitable conclusion that i expected it to be but sure. uh, you know like again it's about how as bryden and dan have now pointed out it's about how the movie goes about it i just didn't feel a whole lot there, but I do think it's interesting that it has Tracy Ullman in the waiting room with Nev Campbell waiting for David Dorfman, his son, to get out. And Nev Campbell says, don't you think it's, like, like difficult, you know, being a woman as a compared to a man? And the whole movie is about how, like, I did think it was interesting that William H. Macy, in a very uncharacteristically way was groomed kind of like the way women are groomed in ways that we don't talk about when it comes to men like which i thought was interesting at the same time um all of the women's relationships in this movie have to deal with men apart from nev campbell who is bisexual but still is drawn to William H. Macy. And that's not me saying like the movie has to represent my worldview, like, like in any way. I just think that it's interesting because you, you deal with the Tracy Ullman character who, after finding out that William H. Macy has slept with Nev Campbell, is kind of like, 
you know, oh, please touch me, like, hold me, kiss me. And then she's like, what the fuck am I doing? Get off of me. Like, <laughs> yeah. Which I thought right. was a really great moment because I was like, is this going to be the scene that I thought it was going to be? And then, like, no. It, it, but it, um, and again, the movie was made in 2000. Um, and I, I do think it's interesting that Nev Campbell's character, who is like William H. Macy's, you know, uh, like the the object of lust is not just attracted to William H Macy; she's attracted to women too, and I think that's really right. interesting. Um, it's just that thing of like, if that to end on a note like that, I think is very poignant, and at the same time, all of the women are in relation to William H Macy fulfilling his arc. If that makes any sense. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, like too little, too late. Yeah, yeah, like like I'm not saying it's bad because I do think the movie's making really interesting commentaries on 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 masculinity and like I don't like right. the flashback scenes at all, but it's not like they don't serve a purpose. I find them to be very didactic and heavy handed and you know, if you're didactic and heavy handed in the right context, that's fine. It's just didn't work for me in terms of the structure of the story, but I I do think that's an interesting point i just wish it was handled in a more complex manner but at the same time again like i i you know i started this movie off like oh we don't get movies like this that were released in 2000 that were kind of small scale dramas and then i'm expecting it to be more which is also kind of unfair but right like like fair in terms of like the time travel like test but also unfair to be like well why aren't you talking about these issues in the way we're talking about them 20 years from now if that makes any Mm -hmm. sense like so i'm kind of at war with myself about this one yeah that i mean that that all i mean that all makes sense i think i mean look criticism you know it's in the eye of the beholder so like fairness is low on the list yeah you know and i and i think that's something not unlike what we were talking about earlier with the last duel. Yeah, it shouldn't be the being fair thing is like, I don't know. Life isn't fair. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, I get it in, in a, in a, in a, in a bubble. I understand it, but like you're coming at it with your own context and that's how you're receiving it. I mean, you know, once art, is made available it is no longer the artist's art i mean it is in the creation but in the reception it's whatever i want it to be you know so right. so like fairness is like it, it is that whatever. thing though because like, there are plenty like, of movies i saw in 2000 that would have like i would easily like give a pat like it's not even like i'm trying to be like how dare you movie because that's not what i'm trying to say at all it's just and I'm trying to hold my own feet to the fire here by being like, this movie was made in 2000. I'm watching it 20 years later, and I'm expecting yeah. certain things that, you know, ugh, I'm not even trying to go in like a whole PC route here. I'm just trying to say like I've seen movies that I felt delved into this better. It's it's that complicated thing where it's like, well, now, but but that's not what the movie is. The movie was released during this time. This is the text engage with it and i'm i i i'm trying to engage with it without trying to be smug like well i watch this 20 years later and therefore blah like bad that's not what i'm trying to right. do at all if that makes any sense right right no no totally <clears throat> uh we talked about the scene where 
the therapist goes for a walk with his dog and gets robbed and Alex intervenes. Back at the therapist's office, Alex talks about him being obsessed with Alex and not wanting to do his job anymore, but also not wanting to tell his father. Alex's mom and dad are really nasty to Sammy about his model airplane, but just Donald Sutherland in that scene just going from zero to a thousand is pretty great. <laughs> uh, but what's most important about that scene is Alex doesn't even react whatsoever. He's just completely detached from everything. Alex lies to his therapist and says that he told his dad he's quitting the business. And then he talks with his dad about wanting to quit at the bowling alley. His dad says if he wants to keep his family, he will kill his therapist and keep the job going. Uh, Alex stalks Sarah, says she has nice feet. She undresses. Uh, probably should have paused a bit, but <laughs> he says he can't sleep with her. He leaves. She punches her door and cuts herself. They, of course, do it. The therapist goes to the police about Alex. Martha finds out about Sarah, but he lies and says they didn't do anything. Uh, that scene that you were describing about whenever she finds out and she tries to get comfort from him and then it's just like, yo, leave. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? Like, I can't believe I'm begging you. Uh, Sammy says Grandpa made him shoot a squirrel just like he did with Alex when he was young. So Alex goes to his father's house, kills his father. The police have been following him, so they show up. The cop shoots him, and he shoots the cop. He lies down, sighs, but smiles while his mom cries over his dad. And the last thing that we were that Charlie was talking about just a little bit, but we'll talk about more, is uh, Sammy is in therapy. Uh, Martha goes to therapy to wait for him, and Sarah shows up. Sarah finds out that this is Alex's wife and kid, but doesn't say anything. It ends with a flashback of Alex and Sammy in bed talking about infinity with a voiceover of Sammy talking about talking with a therapist saying nothing really ends. And that's how Panic ends. Well, I fucked up this whole episode. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> Sorry. We're all over the place. I like that last scene, though, I will say. Um, like the the two last scenes. Right. Um, <clears throat> um there, you know, where there wasn't, the other therapist didn't come out and say Sarah's name. And right. Tracy Ullman has annoying, but you also get the feeling Tracy Ullman probably knows anyway. Mm -hmm. and, and there's just good acting happening there. And like, um, and yeah, you know, like Nev Campbell, we talked about it before, but she's really one of these actresses who kind of is an example of the industry, you know, and how they can really you know spurn good young women um like so soon right like like you know she she's in party of five the craft is a surprise hit Wes craven sees it she's in scream it's like the biggest thing in the world the sequels right and then she's in um wild things <laughs> wild things amongst that right which is its own thing um <laughs> but good i mean good movie you know like you know as as kevin is 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 is, is, is um auditioning um <laughs> and then stuff like panic and and you know these movies which were lesser seen but well reviewed and then you know the when will i be loved the company the altman movie right like you know, oh yeah stuff. yeah i need to see and then that. it's kind yeah. of like you know i think she backs away but i also think it was like the industry and she's kind of alluded to that and it's like it's a shame because i don't know why you know i don't know exactly why that happens to 
some actresses and it's like she's got there's so much in her on her in her face like the camera really mm-hmm. finds a lot like and it is kind of yeah she's there's so much pathos happening with her scenes and and it's like you know it's just sad it's like and look thank goodness for the scream sequels and obviously um she's kind of back and 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 that's love that's great um but but like um yeah it's something that just rewatching it i was it made me a little sad it made me sad watching it Yeah. yeah well she also uh maybe there's the weinstein of it all Maybe I guess yeah. Is that a? Th- I don't. I don't know enough about it. Well, oh, I'm not. Yeah. She hasn't said anything that I know of. But what studio you know, was Scream again? Was that Dimension? Oh, Dimension. Yeah, Bob Weinstein. Yeah, okay. yeah. Dimension. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, could that's be a great. I didn't even. I didn't even think about that. Right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like, you know, the, the Mira Servino stuff. Right. Right. That's very. There's a million stories right about you know she was with Quentin and the mimic stuff and. You know that's all very documented. So I don't. Maybe that exists. I just I don't know it with 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 Campbell. So I don't. You know, I don't want to speak to it. But yeah, I mean it's just. I mean because Mira Servino, for for example, similar type of thing. Like mm-hmm. a really good young actress who kind of got burnt out by these horrible men. And it's like, you know, Romeo and Michelle, Mighty Aphrodite, yeah. great performance. You know, absolutely. Um, uh, Mimic, I mean, Mimic, you know, which is like a lost film or whatever, you know, the Guillermo film. I still like the cut. If you've seen it, it's still, I think it's yep. still a good movie, like yeah. Creature Feature. She's good in it. You know, her Northam, it's like, you know, Charles uh, Charles Dutton. I mean, yeah, she had a moment and then it kind of, uh, it's a shame. But even she's kind of back around. She was in East of the Mountains uh, this year with Tom Scare. Oh, it's pretty okay, good. Yeah. And yeah so. Oh, um, Brendan, I think you're muted. Oh no no, 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 no! I I, I wasn't saying anything significant. Just in, I, I just wanted to say, um, uh, looking at Neff Campbell's uh, filmography, she's going to be on the TV show of the Lincoln Lawyer, which was like the movie. Or, well, Ooh. I mean, first it was a series of books, and then it was a Matthew McConaughey movie, which is a pretty good movie oh, yeah. actually. And then, uh, good movie. Yeah, now it's going to be t- a TV show. She's like uh, one of the main cast members, so that's really okay, well. That's cool. well, that makes me happy. I'm going to have to watch happy. it. Okay, yeah. if she's good book. I've read a lot of read a lot of Michael Connolly. Love the show Bosch. <laughs> we have a friend who loves uh, Bosch, Clay Williams, co-host Bosch. of XA3 to 2010. Oh, does Clay? Clay oh, loves, yes, loves yes. Bosch. Yeah. Oh, I got I got to DM Clay about Bosch. <laughs> a couple, a couple, a couple, <laughs> couple Bosch hands. Yeah. Um, I like Bosch and fucking Goliath, dude. Those Amazon shows. I watch them, man. I'm I'm a dad now, dude. I watch those shows. <laughs> I feel like the baby has to go to bed early because I gotta watch Man in the what High Tower. I, 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 po- yeah, yeah, I posted on Letterboxd like I've been watching the Bourne movies for no like just because they're on, you know, they're available. Of course. And I was just like, I just gotta watch them every year. That's the contract you sign when you have a kid. You just gotta watch the Bourne movies Anything, every year. Yeah, you gotta watch any movie that's ever uh, aired as a rerun on TNT. You just yeah, gotta, you gotta watch, watch the Jack Ryan's. You gotta, you gotta watch the Jack Reachers. You gotta watch you Four gotta Brothers. Watch, oh well, Matt, I love Four Brothers. I mean, yes, but don't get me started on Four Brothers. <laughs> love that movie. When I lived, oh. when I lived with my parents, yeah, I would just walk in and I'd be like, "Are you watching Four Brothers again?" He's like, "It's on." <laughs> gotta watch it I've, a remake, I mean look a remake of a John Wayne movie so it's like I, I never right, saw right. Four Brothers but I did see the Skeleton Key opening weekend which I think was the same good opening movie. weekend yeah <laughs> good movie Get Out is the Skeleton Key yeah it, backwards like <laughs> but, no, sure yeah. but I'm just saying like you know people love Get Out and it, Get Out's great yeah 
But like, go if you like get out, go watch the Skeleton Key because it's uh, cool as hell. I, you know, like Kate Hudson like, and Jenna cool. Rollins are in it. I mean, yeah, Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah, really uh, yeah. I feel like uh, I haven't watched Underrated. Yellow. I haven't watched Yellow Jackets yet, but I know I will and will like it because right. it's got just Showtime. it's just got so many '90s actresses that didn't really get to flourish as much past the 90s and Julia, it's, just... it's got the 90s actress julia it, lewis yes and christina ricci what, and melanie ricci. linsky what like, is it about going back yeah, you're right actually going back to nev campbell though i feel like like kristen stewart was kind of the same type of like typecast as i can gothic, see that moody you know yep. and it to be fair i think the public shit on Kristen Stewart way worse than Nev Campbell. They still do. They and they still, still do. do. But she ultimately got her break and, like, you know, is now doing whatever the fuck she wants. And she's one of her best actresses. So great for her. But what is it I about mean, look, Nev I think, Campbell that people didn't allow her to. I. Yeah, I think the positive way to answer that is the, the way times have changed. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Which is to say. Kristen Stewart saw her opportunity, not unlike Robert Pattinson, right? And they navigated it. And look, look, Leo DiCaprio um, paved the way, right? Because if you remember, TV star uh, was in This Boy's Life, got a nomination for Gilbert Grape. Marvin's Room. Um, Marvin's Room's okay movie, but... Romeo and Juliet, monster surprise, of course, and then Titanic, just astronomical. But then what he does is he stops, right? He's in Celebrity, but it's a small role. The Beach. Uh, A a lesser Woody. And then he he, um, takes a break, right? And he reads The Beach. He gets the paycheck. Kind of a flawed production. Probably an underrated movie nowadays. Not that bad. Book's better, but, you know, whatever. And then, like... Beach kind of underperforms. It's more about his salary, mm-hmm. probably a misstep, whatever. Man, the Iron Mask doesn't count because he like basically made it like when he was making Titanic, right? right. But still, but anyway. Point is, after that, he says to his representation, "I want to work with four directors." He's like, "I will only work with, you know, Spielberg, Scorsese, blah 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 blah," and he works with Spielberg and Scorsese in O two. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. and it and it is the and the rest is literally history. And I think if you look at Stewart and Pattinson, they basically, and I don't know if they've said this, but it's like they basically do that. They're like, okay, we have a hit or m- multiple hits. Let's parlay this into like I'd like to work with, you know, Aseas. I'd like to work with Cronenberg. <sighs> I'd like yeah. to Denis you know, challenge yeah. myself, Denis, and that, and then you get their careers. I mean, you know, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it's also yeah. so interesting because I don't know if any of you watched Titanic recently, but what I love about that movie and what I think I got so much out of my attraction to him and why so many people did get their attraction out of him is like he's to Nev to what we were saying about Nev Campbell being a manic pixie dream girl. Leo in Titanic is kind of a manic pixie dream boy where they're kind of like Kate Winslet gets all the background and they're like, so what are you doing here? And I don't really have much of a history or a personality or anything like that. And uh, yeah, which I think is, and that's also the thing about Nev Campbell in this movie is she does in that elevator scene, which I, I, I guess this is another thing I wanted to bring up. Bringing it back to panic is I love the, scenes where 
it's a little contrived, but William H. Macy's like, oh, like, where are you going? Oh, I'm just riding, like, in an elevator. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it's right. better than the freeway and stuff like that, which is so much regarding his life as he's just riding whatever way um, Donald Sutherland is directing him. And it's also how he met Tracy Ullman. And uh, the most crucial scene where you find out about Nev Campbell's past is in that elevator where she's kind of like, yeah, so my my sister's anorexic and, you know, her husband's fucking the babysitter. And then my dad asked me the meaning of life. And what kind of question is that to ask a 23-year-old? Which I all thought was interesting that, like, and I mean that in the movie's favor is that the most crucial times people reveal things about themselves are in an elevator where they're just passing, quote unquote. Right. Um, which, like, Nev Campbell's writing the 23 year old wave of, I don't know what my life is, but this is, like, you know, representative of, like, where I'm most safe because this is, you know, allegorical to just the way my life is going. And William H. Macy kind of finds himself with. Even off screen, the Tracy Ullman character, as we found out, uh, the Nev Campbell character, and then that one woman who he says looks like a hooker at one point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that, but that is an interesting, like, it's, it's, it's a little contrived, but I did think that was kind of interesting how that was just playful in the way that um, it's establishing why these characters are attracted to each other despite their age difference is that William H. Macy is just kind of riding the wave that his father paved for him. And then Nev Campbell's not doing anything her family wants her to do, but is kind of like revealing intimate secrets just in passing moments. So I, 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 to come around on the movie's favor, I think that's, that's an interesting little plot device that it has. That makes sense. Mm. Uh, Closing thoughts, Bryden, what do you, what do you think about panic, man? Um, yeah, again, I mean, I'm just looking at, like, some of my notes. I feel like there was, like, it's, a, we, I, I mean, we, we went through kind of, like, the broad plot of the movie, but I feel like the moments that stick out to me are, like, the, the little moments in between. The, I love the scene after Macy saves Ritter in the park. Um, there's, like, the scene, like, I mean, it's, like, they're, like, it's, like, a wide shot of them, like, having a conversation, but I cuss to, like, Ritter, like, close up and like interrupt a conversation it's like wait, wait wait let's go back to the park how why were you there and, and like sort of yeah, like yeah that's a good yeah. one yeah. yeah and macy's just like his lie is like so bald-faced and the, the scene where like macy says like oh well i've like quit the job or anything it's just like all right so like just not gonna be any future what about the future jobs macy says i can't tell you that it's like but you said you quit the business so there can't be any job to discuss that's right and then like it's just kind of like this whole conversation of, like the lie like collapses in on itself but like right right um yeah, I don't know. There's just, like, it's, like, the little details in the movie of, like, you know, sort of, like, the the environments that these characters are meeting in and doing their business in and, like, the histories that they have. I mean, it's interesting, like, thinking about this is not that similar to Ghost Dog, even though they are both about Hitman, but I did sort of, like, the detail of Sutherland himself is, like, kind of, like, an inadequate guy himself, like, projecting all of his his uh hopes or his insecurities onto his son and everything like he talks when they're walking through the park they're talking about business and so one like just sort of points like off screen he's like oh i used to like dance over there i was really hot stuff and everything and he just like is sort of like it's like this guy like you do get like a sort of sense of history both in the writing but also Sutherland's performance of like this guy's just like i mean he his life has not turned out the way maybe he wanted it to and macy hasn't either and it's um uh, that that's sort of like their shared thing, and I don't know. I just sort of liked it, and and also the the loyalty, str- the the sort of 
and you get that in Ghost Dog too, with like you know the people like sort of mourning the past of like their their youth, and um, also the the loyalty is stressed too. It's like, well, you can't quit on this business because like your father built this himself and everything, like sort of like a pull yourself up by your bootstrap sort of thing, and um, it's just a kind of funny like the idea of like sort of false loyalty or like unearned loyalty in uh, both movies. I, I'll stop rambling, but yeah. Uh, Dan, close us out with closing thoughts. Yeah, I mean. I obviously like this movie a lot. I think I Brian, you said it well. The small moments are if if you are to like this film, those would be the reasons why, of course. Um and the you know, the small engagements with Macy and Dorfman, <clears throat> the the bigger moments but are that are also a size to some degree with Sutherland and Dorfman and then all of the Tracy Ullman, John Ritter and um, Nev Campbell moments are all, I mean, this is just good acting, you know what I mean? And I think, like we said, Brommel was a novelist and like, it doesn't surprise me that a novelist who also made a few movies would revel in the details. So I think that's where the movie stands out for me for sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it was a pleasure to rewatch and I am really happy you know that it's available these movies kind of get lost sometimes mm-hmm. and at least you can find it and watch it and kind of you know see for yourself and it's short you know like we said and you know uh, it's nice to have a macy leading role and a tracy oldman you know dramatic performance so yeah i mean for me it's a it's a high recommend so i mean yeah if, if denzel washington has taught us anything this year it's the little things that's right amen dude and the and the jordan journals a journal for yeah. a journal for Jordan. Right. <laughs> coming out. Coming out, guys. Christmas. Coming out. <laughs> Directing it. Directing it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Almost Major. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Please follow the pod on Twitter at Almost Major to keep up to date with what movies we will be covering in the future. Myself, I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at Kev Bonesy. Bryden can be found on Twitter at Bryden Doyle and on Letterboxd at J Doyle. Charlie can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at CTNash91. Our guest Dan Mecca can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd at DJ Mecca. He hosts the B-Side of Film Stage Podcast and also Fathom, an anthology series of short stories, both of which I recommend. Once again, thank you for listening.